0: Hi, I'm Sonya Whitaker, host of the Sonya Whitaker podcast. You may access this podcast and others by visiting Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts. You may also access this podcast by visiting me at SonyaWhitaker.com. The topic of today's discussion is driving while black. And if you visit my public Facebook page, you're going to see that on July the 13th, 2022 I posted and in my post I shared information regarding an experience that I had relevant to being stopped by a police officer while driving on vacation with my family. I was actually in the car alone when I was stopped. Now I want you to know that when I prepared to talk about this i had a bit of a struggle because in some cases I felt like I might have been overthinking it. But as days went on, I started to watch television, which I actually don't do much. And I can't tell you how many times I saw nationwide stories about African-American men and women being stopped by police officers for reasons that were unwarranted. And so again, although I feel it or find it difficult, some might find that hard to believe, but I do find it very difficult to talk about this topic. I feel that I have a fundamental obligation to do so. Because upon listening to my story, you will know that I have the great honor of being alive to actually tell the story. But not all people are granted that honor. And so I want to start out by making sure that those of you who follow my work remain clear that my intent is always to lead with love while at the same time raising consciousness. Because in all of my experiences, what I've come to know and believe to be true is that people are genuinely interested in raising their consciousness and knowing more about race-related topics But society has taught us it's actually taboo to talk about it. And so one of, I believe, of my many missions on this earth is to make people comfortable with hearing about and talking about conversations related to race relations. Very often I'll share when when I speak publicly that my intent is to address issues that impact education both directly and indirectly. And I think that's important to understand because, for example, going back to the topic of this podcast, Driving While Black, one might wonder why an educator would be so interested in having that conversation. And in part, it's because it does impact our work as educators. And my intent today is to help by making some form of connection between that experience and the work that you do so that you can be even more effective in your work than you already are now. For those of you who have not had an opportunity to view my Facebook post, again listed on July thirteenth, 2022, I'm going to encourage you to do so. What I like to do during this podcast is to give a bit of a version exact of exactly what occurred. So upon leaving uh, my hotel on vacation, I was stopped by a police officer, and I must admit I was really surprised that that had occurred because, unfortunately, black people are always on alert when we're driving. I mean, I can't even imagine a day when I could actually get in my car and not wonder or, or have some level of concern about whether or not I'll be followed and stopped by a police officer for no reason, and so I share that because on this particular day, especially because I was in a rental car, and especially because I was out of town, I was I was on high alert. While driving, I looked out of my rearview rear view mirror rather, and I saw a police officer. I saw blue lights, and I thought, "Oh my gosh, why could this officer be stopping me?" I knew I wasn't speeding. I was in a rented car, I knew I had all the paperwork and so honestly it concerned me right away that I was even being stopped because as I have indicated I was on high alert. So once I saw the blue lights go off, I actually, I stopped, I put my emergency blinkers on, I put both hands on the steering wheel I recall and the officer approached my car, white male officer and he said, ma'am you are in a stolen vehicle. And without thinking, I said, a stolen vehicle? This car is stolen? And he said, yes, this car is stolen. Get out of the car. And I was, um, hmm, let's just say, I was taken back by the fact that I told him it was a a car. And so I was taken out and he still said, get out of the car. He repeated himself. And I was taken back by the fact that he had not looked at my driver's license, nor had he looked at the paperwork that I received from the rent-a-car place. By the way, all of that was in my car, so there was no way, I mean, in my purse, so there was no way I was going to reach for that. But I did inform him that that it was a -a rent-a-car. Now, the guy went from sort of, I'll call it a normal tone of speaking to me. And when I said, you want me to get out of my car his voice changed. it was like something clicked in his head. it was a It wasn't a comfortable feeling that I had, but I knew that I needed to obey his directions. Not that I knew, so I carefully got out of the car. It was really odd because I wanted to put my hands in the air, but he didn't say that I was being arrested. I didn't know how to respond because i'd never I just couldn't get over the fact that he was asking me to get out of the car. And so I think I raised my hand, but if so, it wasn't super high because I just didn't know what to do. So I got out of the car and I stood in front of the car and I began to shake. I mean, I was literally shaking. My knees were shaking. My legs were shaking. My hands were shaking. And I I just started crying. And then at the same time, I, I started to apologize for crying. And I said to the officer, I said, I apologize because I-, I need you to understand. One of the things I love about those that follow my work is you allowed me to be vulnerable and you don't expect me to rehearse and you like me to just be real and be raw. And so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you I was shaking and uh, because I was scared. I-, I remember the story. I mean, it came right to my mind of Sandra Bland. African-American female, about my skin tone color, by the way, who was stopped at traffic stop, and uh, the end of that experience for her was death in prison. Police officers say she took her life. It's my understanding. There are many different interpretations of exactly what occurred, and that was not the interpretation uh, that I understand is accurate. And so I want you to know while you're listening to the sound of my voice that when that officer stopped me and asked me to stand outside of my car over and over again I I played her experience because it was made public in the form of video and in writing it just kept going in my head so I began to shake and I apologized to the officer while I stood the officer he just looked at me and um I apologized to him and I told him I I apologize for being so nervous and for crying because again I wanted him to know my intent was not to be disrespectful but you know that I I told him I'm very nervous about what's happening now. Um, While I stood there he began to once again tell me that I was in a stolen vehicle. I told him I had no idea of that. Started to ask me questions about what I do for a living essentially. My intent was not to share much because I didn't feel that there was a reason to do so but I also didn't want to come across as being non-compliant and at this point I wasn't in his car, the police car so standing outside of that car and or returning to my car I kept thinking was the ultimate goal and so I felt a need to to talk to to again to appear as if I was uh being compliant, I thought I found it odd for him to want to gain information regarding what I did for a living again wasn't really interested in sharing much because I have a tendency uh not to make a big deal of all of that once I shared in the spirit of transparency, let's just say I believe he began to put two and two together and he asked me would you like to return to your car it's hot out here and i looked at the officer because i really felt like that was my saving grace that moment and i said yes officer i i really would like to return to my car before i did so he uh, he said that he i don't recall exactly how we got to the purse incident i think he asked yes yes he asked me if i wanted him to get my purse and I said yes <laughs> Um, because my mind although he actually didn't say that he was going to look at the ID and the paperwork from the company my mind was going to yeah I need you to see that even though we never had that dialogue interestingly enough when he went to get my purse I was a bit offended because he started going through my purse And I kind of looked at him, puzzled, and he said, oh, I'm going to just make sure you don't have any weapons. I'm checking your purse for weapons. And at that point, you all, I'm going to tell you, I was numb. I was just thinking about staying alive and getting out of that experience. And And recognizing that I didn't have a weapon, I said, okay, fine. So I made my way back. Uh, to the car and I don't know he might have had me sit there 25 minutes another officer was there and then that officer left and then he came back to my car and um, he said to me again ma'am you I don't think he said ma'am but he said you are in a stolen vehicle and we need you I need you to get uh, this vehicle back because whomever rented this to you rented to you a vehicle that they shouldn't have I thought that was odd but again I was following directions He um and listening rather and he, what I think is interesting now that I just again I wasn't thinking about at the time was he said I'm going to call the the company for you and I thought it was odd that he was willing to call the company for me and so I responded by um, letting him know that um, that I would be willing to interact with the company myself. And I actually uh, took him up on his offer to have me remain on the phone or for me to be available on the speakerphone while he called. Now, let me be let me back up and be a little more clear about that. Literally, he said I could leave the leave where I was in that car. And drive back to the hotel and deal with the car company while he actually essentially called them on my behalf. Now, in hindsight, I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Hindsight. In hindsight, I don't know, I guess maybe I would have left. But I I didn't feel that that was wise because I'm still thinking, trying to think logically. I'm thinking I rented the car. The officer didn't rent the car. So why would I have him call? on my behalf and so long story short relevant to that I told him no I'll I'll stay here while you communicate with them he called I gave them uh, him the paperwork he called them he said this lady is in a stolen car the leadership at the rent at their rent a car company seemed a bit puzzled by that and they asked him more questions and I recall that call ending by the time I made it and I drove off. In fact, he said to me something along the lines of, I'm sure you are a very busy person and I do wanna see you go on and get about your day. I'm not joking, that's exactly what he said. So I drive back to the hotel when I get there, leadership from the rent a car company was very upset, standing around the uh, the front desk And as soon as I walked in, they said to me, "Uh, Dr. Whitaker, you are not, you are not driving a stolen vehicle and we have no idea why the cop insisted that you were. Okay, so now I'm processing and I'm taking, I'm super taken back by that. And then they add, um, not only are you not uh, in a stolen car and we have no idea why he said it, but we're also upset and puzzled. By the fact that if he thought you were in a stolen car, why would he actually say to you that you can leave? If you were in a stolen car, he had another level of obligation. But that was um, that was painful for those of you who had to hear to just hear that that I had the experience and that I wasn't in a. In a stolen car one of the things that i want to go back also and share because I, I need to be reminded that not everyone has viewed the face tube recording and you really should to have a full appreciation for what i'm sharing with you now so let me go back and also share that when the officer came back to my car after i assume running the driver's license again and the license plate he asked me if I needed anything else, and I did, again, in hindsight, what, hindsight, what I probably wouldn't advise anyone to do, but I can't help it. I'm almost always in teacher mode. I said, officer, I want you to know that I think that healing needs to take place between the black community and law enforcement. And I began to once again apologize for, for crying, uh, really wailing. I mean, I was weeping like a baby. have no problem saying that I'm scared to death and I shared with him that so much has happened in our country rated to uh related to race relations and the interaction of blacks with police officers that I was just overwhelmed by our experience and all he pretty much said that that he agreed with that so where I want to go with the second half of this podcast recording with you Um, is specific to addressing two topics in particular within the context of this message that i shared with you or this story. I want to address judgment calls and I want to address the topic of fight or flight. Because when the officer and I had the second exchange and I talked to him about My concerns relevant to the need for healing to take place between the black community and police. And the police, he told me that relevant to protocol, he could have drawn his gun at me. And he said, but he didn't draw his gun at me because he looked at me. He saw how I was dressed. He recognized immediately how I presented myself. And he made a judgment call. And I want to stick with that for just a second because I can't help but to ask myself. I had a beautiful silk scarf on before I got in that car that I actually elected to take off. I shouldn't have had to do that. My son wears dreads. He could have been driving that car. He shouldn't have had to wonder about how he might be perceived by a police officer just to jump in the car, obey the speed limit, stop at the traffic lights like he was supposed to, and get a sandwich. He shouldn't have to experience the level of stress associated with trying to figure out how he would have to present himself. If a cop stopped him, I will never forget as long as I live that that young white male officer said to me that a part of the reason why he didn't draw his gun at me was that he made a judgment call about me based on how I looked. And therein lies the problem. Those of us that are in the business of practicing the policy of intentionality as it relates to developing our own cultural competencies in leadership so that we can create more culturally responsive learning environments. I want us to be conscious about the types of judgment calls that are being made about the black and brown students that you serve. Because in my moment of reflection after he said that to me, I thought about the fact that society has far too often painted negative images of people that look like me. Negative images of black women as being the aggressor, of black girls as being the aggressor. Many have a natural tendency to believe that that is exactly the case and therefore, far too often they respond accordingly to their either intentionally related to their bias their unconscious or un or conscious biasness and so once again i can't help but to wonder what influenced his thinking at that moment outside of his exchange with me and so one of the points that i want to make is as you go back, leaders, school board members, and you begin to set up opportunity, create opportunities for your not just yourself, but for your teachers to develop their cultural competencies. One of the things that I want you to 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 encourage you to do is to begin to look at student achievement data and determine the the, the extent to which African American students, in particular, for example, are disproportionately impacted by your policies specific related to discipline or policies related to who gains access to advanced classes and to recognize that as educators, we are in the people business and it is people that are making judgment calls about black and brown students that ultimately determine their success or lack thereof. Another point that I want to make, and I went back and forth about whether or not I want to make this connection, but I'm just going to do it because that's what I do. Far too often, I believe that when uh, black people are stopped by the police officer and the end result is uh, death or jail, far too often I hear people play the blame game. For me, it's kind of a real big deal for me to say that. It's true. It's what I have observed. Far too often we ask, why didn't you stop running? Why didn't you comply with the police officer? Why wouldn't George Floyd stop shaking? Colleagues, I will never compare the experience that I had to George Floyd's. Let me be very, very, very clear about that. I thank God every day, not some of the days, but every day, that was not the outcome of my experience. But I will tell you, when I stood in front of that police officer who I knew had a gun, who I knew was making judgments, calls about me, I couldn't be still. I was shaking. In fact, I recognized that I ran the risk of him thinking that something was wrong with me. Because I couldn't stop shaking and he didn't know me. But being shaking, shaking, and appearing anxious is a natural phenomenon. The other point that I want to make, relevant to this this notion of why don't people stop when an officer is is approaching you, essentially, is because when an officer is there, you you naturally, right, by training, we recognize that they're law enforcement. But I want to ask you, do, do you really understand what happened when it appears as if the officer, the trusted officer, my brother's in law enforcement. Let me reveal that publicly also. My brother is in a senior level official. He's senior level position in law enforcement. I support officers, the right ones who are doing their jobs the right way. And going back to my original point regarding dialogue about why a person might run or why a person might appear noncompliant. I want to draw your attention to July 21, 2022, when it is reported that the Tennessee Police Department is under investigation for the brutal arrest of a door dash driver inside his home, you all. In Oakland, Tennessee, again, they're under investigation because a young man who is the age of my son by the name of Brandon Calloway, police tried to pull him over for a traffic stop because they said he ran a stop sign. They said that he failed to stop, and my interpretation, very important to say, my interpretation From my understanding of what actually occurred is that he began concerned to get concerned after he found himself being followed by police officers. And so he sped up and made himself his way all the way to his own home. If you want more information about this very story that is brutal to read about and watch. Then you can Google his story. I won't go into graphic detail. But what I want you to know. Is that this young boy. Who looks like. And is of the same age of my child. Made it into his own home. Only to have the police officers. Make their way in his home. And beat him. Taser him. Nearly to death. Nearly to death. I have to share that story because I can't stop thinking about a psychological term referred to as fight or flight. I remember during the murder of George Floyd, which we all witnessed before our very eyes. I remember making a plea nationwide to have psychologists and I'm not suggesting that they didn't weigh in on this, but I just never got a hold of the material. To have psychologists actually weigh in on the concept or the psychological term I'm referring to when I say psychological term, it's fight or flight. For those of you who are unfamiliar with it, the fight or flight or the fight, flight or freeze response is a psychological reaction that occurs in response to a perceived harmful event, attack or threat to survival. I have a tendency to want to believe that that young adult, Brandon, experienced this phenomenon as a direct result of fearing that the cops actually didn't have good intent. And I want to be clear that although I stood still and I complied with the officer's request, I began to have the same level of emotional experience as it related to processing the information because I recognized that the officer who stopped me was actually not playing by the rules. So you may say, well, doc, why are you bringing this up? I'm bringing the second point up because I do not want us to continue to blame the victims of incidences like this, I want police officers who have had limited experience with black or brown people, or who have been tainted by their negative images of the the capable the intellectual capabilities and the the intent of African American students and African American adults to be aware that when they actually stop the people, my people, essentially, that I am referring to, that this psychological phenomenon actually exists. I want them to raise their consciousness so that they may have a better level of information about the interaction that they could have with those that they are actually stopping. In summary, as I've indicated a number of times, my intent is to raise consciousness. I want you to know that this experience that I had actually occurred, and I'm hoping that by listening to the sound of my voice, that you remain committed to addressing race relations issues in your respective organization, that you remain committed to raising the consciousness of your staff and even the consciousness of the students that you serve who may become police officers who may have limited opportunity to develop their own cultural competencies unless you teach them. And also my intent as it relates to anyone involved in law enforcement that may hear the sound of my voice, I want to encourage you and those that are charged with the responsibility of protecting and serving To continue to make a commitment to developing your own cultural competencies so that you are clear about your intentions as you do what you have sworn in to do. I thank you so very much for listening to the sound of my voice. Once again, this is Sonia Whitaker, host of the Sonia Whitaker podcast. You may access this podcast and others on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, as well as by visiting my website at com.